This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Joyful, joyful. Lounge on Joy 94.9. This is the show where we talk about spirituality and sexuality for our community. Good evening, faithful listeners, and welcome to the Spirit Lounge. We've got myself, Claudine, here tonight with Rachel doing a double shift on the panel. I sure am, so I hope you're not sick of my lovely voice. And paneling. We haven't even given her a break yet. And no Mark tonight, unfortunately. Um, He's indisposed, but he'll be back next week, I do hope. Yes, we do hope. So today is St. Patrick's Day, and we have uh, an accidental Irish theme for the program. Uh, Patrick was a missionary sent from Britain to Ireland, and he's one of the patron patron saints of Ireland, along with St. Bridget, whom we'll hear more about later in the program. So are you decked out in green today? Are you ready to drink some green beer and try your best Irish leprechaun accent? Well, I'm not do- I don't do accents. That's Oh, come on. That's, you have that's to. embarrassing. But you've got your green hair. I, I do. It's, it's, well, it looks green at the moment. It's somewhat aquary, mouldy coloured. <laughs> so who is this St. Patrick? We're always talking about these fancy people who get celebra- celebratory name, days named after them. So uh, most people think that today is just a celebration of Irish settlement and culture in Australia, uh, considering they were amongst the first Europeans to settle in Australia. However, most of us don't know who the heck St. Patrick actually is and why he got a name. A na- I a keep day. saying name instead of day. A day named after him. Turns out March 17th is the day that the patron saint... I am just having a shocker. The patron saint of Ireland died. So it was only fitting to make an official feast day of St. Patrick. So St. Patrick's Day originally uh, was made a feast day in the 17th century and commemorates St. Patrick and the arrival of Christianity in Ireland. So time for the time warp. Much of what is known about St. Patrick is in the Declaration declaration which is allegedly written by Patrick himself. He was the son of a preacher man and the grandson of a priest in the Christian church. It is widely believed that at the age of only 16, young Paddy was kidnapped by Irish raiders and taken as a slave to Gaelic Ireland. He spent six years working there as a shepherd and is believed Uh, It is believed that this is where he found the Lord. Uh, The declaration says that God told Patrick to flee to the coast, jump on a ship that would be waiting for him to take him home. Then he returned home and went on to become a priest. Eventually, he returned to Ireland to convert the pagan to Christianity, and it is believed that he converted thousands 
Over time, many stories of St. Patrick grew and he therefore became Ireland's most foremost saint. So in Australia, obviously, we like to take the non-religious parts of the St. Patrick story and make it our own celebration uh, by celebrating Irish culture with food, drink, leprechauns, wearing green and listening to a good old Irish pub band, throw in a parade for good measure. Uh, But it's worth taking the chance to learn about some Irish history and culture, though. So happy St. Paddy's Day, Spirit Lounges. I'm sure there's a Gaelic uh, greeting, which I'm not aware of, but and I would butcher it if I knew it. <laughs> yeah, me either. But it's actually a double holy day this week. Um, you can keep celebrating St. Patrick's Day for a few more hours. And I think we we haven't done the song, and I'm not going to sing this week because special, special song. Miracle that we found a holy day theme again. It was lost and it's found. In case you were sick of my singing voice, it was it was more more um, unexpected, more more surprising. You never knew what was going to come out. Exactly. So um, I think we're all honorary Irish men and women today. Though I did see on Facebook that um, one of my friends with Scottish heritage was a bit unsure about that. So, well, we can all be honorary Celts today, perhaps. Um, but after today, this this Sunday, things get a bit more serious. This Sunday is Palm Sunday, which is the week leading up to Easter. And Christians call this week Holy Week as it's the most, most solemn week in the Christian calendar. And it ends in joy and light on Easter morning. Though in Australia, there's not as much light as you might get in the Northern Hemisphere where this coincides with spring. But, you know, we just, we just take our Northern Hemisphere traditions and celebrate them upside down. <laughs> Palm Sunday commemorates Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem before he's arrested and crucified. Churches celebrate this day a bit differently from ordinary Sundays in some traditions. Worship on Palm Sunday starts outside the church and moves inside afterwards. It's a kind of reenactment of the two major events celebrated on Palm Sunday, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and his trial and crucifixion. In the first part, Jesus is said to have ridden a donkey into Jerusalem and people spread palm leaves in front of him. So there's a lot of tradition and symbolism in there and I'm I didn't read up on the donkey, which I, um, I'm sure there's plenty of symbolism there as well. Um, but the palms, this is interpreted as a symbol of victory um, in ancient Roman culture. And we also heard a few months ago that there's um, palm leaves are used in the Jewish festival of Sukkot. So there's many layers of symbolism there. It's a bit sad that we don't have Mark here to tell us more about the palm leaves in Sukkot. I don't think we had Mark at here at Sukkot either, so we'll we'll get to we'll get to talk to him about about Jewish uh, traditions one day. Yes. So the first part of the service presents Jesus as a kind of triumphal figure, and in contrast, the rest of it focuses on his arrest, his trial, and crucifixion leading the church into commemorating the events that um commemorating these events through the rest of holy week so the bible readings and the acts of worship are set up to make us think about how the supposed triumph at the start contrasts and leads to the crucifixion 
and from there on to the resurrection of Jesus. But more on that next week. We're not going to jump the gun too much. So some churches get specific with the reenactment part of the service at the start. The service may start outside the church with the people forming a procession around the church, which can be quite impressive when you've got a large congregation or if the church is located at a large intersection, for example. Uh, some churches even include a donkey in the procession. Um, and I've even seen some where they have a donkey in the procession and then afterwards they have uh, donkey rides for the children. So we're just breaking those rules about not working with animals and children. We'll get them all together. Um, I've, I've, um, I was once carrying a, um, serving in a, in a procession and was told, just step back a bit so that the donkey doesn't kick you. So um, that was, not, <laughs> oh, that was yeah. one of my more, more tense moments. After the procession, the service continues in the church and the Bible readings center on the Last Supper, Jesus' arrest and trial and his crucifixion. And yes, in the really committed churches like mine, we could, we're could we hearing the whole story. So we could be standing up to hear, I, I counted this just earlier, it was about 170 verses from the Gospel of Luke. I don't think that's an exaggeration. It's It's the whole story from... From Jerusalem to from entering Jerusalem to getting crucified, so um, that's a lot of that's a lot of Bible reading in in one sitting, uh, because Holy Week is the start of the um, endurance sport aspects of church worship. <laughs> so we'll talk about some of the um, some of the more secular and political aspects of Palm Sunday with our guests. But first, to start off tonight's special Irish playlist. Here's one by you two. So we talked about Palm Sunday earlier as a as the Christian festival. It's one, and it's also one of the few days uh, outside Europe, at least, when the church takes to the streets. Though I think this this happens more frequently in Europe, but not so much in Australia. As we heard earlier, Palm Sunday services often start outside the church with a very public procession. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was. A confrontation between different ideas of power, between the Roman Empire and the ideas that Jesus and his followers are spreading. And that tradition continues in a way today in Australia. The peace movement started holding rallies on Palm Sunday to protest the rise of nuclear power. And nowadays the government's treatment of asylum seekers has become the focus of these rallies. So our special guest tonight in the Spirit Lounge is Sister Bridget Arthur, a member of the Brigidine Order and a founder of the Brigidine Asylum Seeker Project. Welcome, Bridget. Thanks, Godin. So let's start with the basics. What um, there's going to be a few rallies around Australia this Sunday on Palm Sunday. So, what's it about? What's what's the message behind the rallies? Yes, I think there's going to be uh, rallies or walks. Um, we call ours here in Melbourne a walk. Um, in most major cities and indeed in some regional areas on Palm Sunday. Um, the, the numbers in these um, events have actually been building year by year over the last um, decade, I guess, uh, and we expect that many people will turn out on the streets on this Palm Sunday. So what's, um, who's behind it or what groups are involved in organising these? Um, here in Melbourne, which is the only one I can speak for uh, much in terms of the organisation, uh, there's actually, I think it's 107 different groups uh, who are sponsoring uh, this walk, uh, which is quite amazing. 
Um, there is, of course, a, a smaller uh, organising committee, um, but, um, but there's a huge number of people from very large groups to quite small ones. And are you involved in the, in the organising, the, the, I suppose the practical side of it? Uh, yes, I'm on the organising committee. So I think that the, there seems to be, um, from my recollection, there's a mix of uh, Christian groups um, from various denominations, uh, other faith groups, and um, other groups that are not part of any faith. So is there? Um, why is it? Uh, why is it held on Palm Sunday, which is a, a very Christian festival? Yeah, I think Palm Sunday has come to represent in the community at large um, uh, something that, uh, or to represent a time when actually we make some kind of public demonstration about uh, something that appears to be really, really central to us as a a nation. And I think it's really good that uh, different people can come on that day uh, from various traditions. We can all come from our own tradition, uh, come with... Uh, a story of our own, but come in in the common uh, ideal of uh, trying to do something for people who are very vulnerable. It seems to me that this really fits into the whole tradition, the whole story of Palm Sunday, and whatever people believe, the story is still the story. So, do you think that Palm Sunday is taking on a more um, a more significant, um, more meaning now in Australia now that it's, there's been these um, protests of various kinds on the day it's it's in a way it's taken its own life um because you know things like days like christmas or easter have a very specific theological meaning but they also take on a more secular association do you think that's um that's happening with palm sunday now yeah i think it probably is true um i think that sometimes um it's good to remind the general community of uh the whole meaning behind the tradition um, you know, people can hear that uh, story and uh, appreciate it for what it is. I mean, I can do that for um, stories that, or uh, aspects of other faiths um, like Judaism or, or Islam or Buddhism or whatever. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, people from those faith traditions and others can do this in terms of Palm Sunday too. So um, when I was, I remember when I was an, you know, an undergraduate a long time ago and going on my first protest marches that this was in the 90s. <laughs> there, um, I think Rachel was born in the 90s. I was born in the 90s. the 90s. Um, so back then I, I thought of, Palm Sun, of the Palm Sunday rallies as, um, as part of um, peace rallies and, and anti-nuclear movement. Um, I think Jabaluka was a big issue at the time. Um, were you involved in any of those, those earlier movements? Yes, yes, I was part of. I was born a long, long, long time before the nineteen nineties, <laughs> so I've been around forever, um, and have walked in uh, many, many of those. The biggest one that I can remember is the one uh, protesting the um, entry into the Iraq War on the part of Australia. That was a huge demonstration of, um, yeah, pe- for peace rather than going to war. Were there rallies held? like in every city or was it everyone went to a particular location uh, in Australia to rally? I think there have always been uh, bigger or smaller um, rallies, walks, whatever, uh, around Palm Sunday. 
well, as long as I can remember. I've only mainly lived in, in Victoria, but um, I have occasionally been uh, present in another state and there's always been... It's my, my uh, memory is uh, that they've been slightly smaller, that Melbourne sort of outdoes the others in terms of numbers, but uh, maybe that's not true. That might be a bit parochial. <laughs> I feel that we're, we've, we're kind of privileged in, Mel- in Melbourne and having this, it's a very protest-friendly layout, I think, you know, being a grid and it's easy to mm. kind of plan a map. And especially thinking of Palm Sundays and, and, other, and peace rallies um, and other rallies that Christian groups are involved in, it, there's this very, um, I think, deep symbol of having... Um, as an Anglican, thinking of having the our cathedral opposite Federation Square, you've got this huge church opposite this very public square in one of the biggest interse- intersections in Melbourne. So it's it's really um, almost laid out perfectly for a for a Palm Sunday rally for us. Mm. And for um, for here in Melbourne, where we usually um, gather, and we are this year at um, the city at um, the uh, library, State Library. And then we walk down Swanson Street, you know, and it's a it's a perfect place to walk down. I think you walk past the the um, cathedral, uh, which amazingly has the big sign out uh, "Free the Refugees" out uh, on the um, on the wall high up, which is mm. very arresting. And then past Federation Square, past Flinders Street, you know, it's sort of it's as though here we are, and here's a whole the whole life of Melbourne kind of symbolised by mm. uh, the trams and the people and the um, Flinders Street and the, the cathedral and then on down past the river, you know. It's an amazing walk, really. It's not all that long, but it's... No. Uh, and it's down. It's mostly downhill, too. Oh, it is. Yes. <laughs> and that's where, good. Where does, where does the walk end? Uh, down in the gardens that's a fair way, fair way down. I'm not sure. I think they're called the Queen... Oh, is it the... Queen Victoria Gardens? Or is it the Alexandra Gardens? Alexandra yeah, Gardens, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. So just, I think just across the river. Yeah, yeah, it is. I only just had that ding ding moment, but we can uh, go to that after we listen to another song. A little break from our Irish playlist today. That was O Canada by Missy Higgins, who we have found out is actually going to be singing at the refugee rally this Palm Sunday. And in Melbourne. In Melbourne. And my little ding ding moment was I was actually there at the refugee rally last year at Palm Sunday. For some reason, I hadn't put two and two together prior to that moment. Um, I was there with a great friend of mine from Sydney, Lucas, who is part of a group called People Like Us, who are uh, advocates for refugees in Australia. And if you were there last year and you happened to get some green fairy floss, it was probably me that gave it to you. So I was helping man the fairy floss floss machine and uh, hand out green fairy floss to people. That's an even more appropriate this year. If it's just three days after St. Patrick's Day, we need the green fairy floss again. That's true, but I don't don't know if he'll be there this year, so I'm not sure if there will be green fairy floss. We had a lot of leftover fairy floss, though, so he had to um, smuggle it back to Sydney on the aeroplane with him. Not smuggle it. He was allowed to take it. It was just, you know, probably heavier than the the five kilos or whatever that you're allowed. Fairy floss. Fairy floss can't be very heavy. Oh, it, is. it comes in liquid form. Fun oh, fact. I've never been involved in... Uh, it's also very hot, so you don't want to burn yourself on it. But, yeah, it was an incredible experience seeing everyone um, be together in the park at the end of the rally. There was just such a 
incredible uplifting vibe there um and I was actually really pleased that I didn't I personally it may have happened but I did not see anybody who was against refugees there which was amazing but I I mean I asked myself this I don't know if there's an answer but do you think do I do if you think it makes any difference because we've been doing this for 15 years or more yes I I think it makes a difference um, at varying levels. I think it helps all of those who um, are actually asylum seekers here to know that uh, there are uh, a lot of people who actually want um, something better for them uh, and who are prepared to um, do something that's quite tangible to ask the government to change uh, policies and to get something better for them. So I think for the uh, seek people seeking asylum, it's important. I think for the people who are doing the the walking, the uh, non-violent, because I uh, take your point that you didn't see anything that was violent, Rachel, and um, it's a very peaceful, um, it's always a very peaceful event, but that in a very peaceful way that we stand in solidarity with these people. Um, I think that helps us to, uh, to know that there's a lot of other people who are mm -hmm. also with us. And so that sense of community is very important. At another level, I hope, I hope uh, that... Um, both major parties uh, who have implemented policies that are quite cruel, uh, that they will also be watching and saying, well, there are tens of thousands of people now asking us uh, to close detention centres and to uh, be much kinder to people. So um, maybe, just maybe, they'll also be uh, looking and listening. I also think that it, it gives, it brings awareness to people as well who aren't uh, as educated about it. There are a lot of people out there who don't watch TV and don't read newspapers and are not fully aware of the situations that are going on. And for them to see this public protest and they can they can join it, they can meet up at the end, they can get handed a, a pamphlet or just talk to someone and say, hey, what's this all about? And for for them to then maybe go and tell their friend, hey, today I saw this thing. Did you know that this is happening? And then someone else might go, what? Like, that's happening? And Australia's letting that happen? So it creates awareness as well, which then helps promote change. And many protests, um, I think quite legitimately, are people who are looking for something, uh, for justice maybe, for themselves and for people like them. Uh, this is, I think, quite different in that it's, a group of people who themselves are not, uh, by and large, affected uh, by the fact that uh, people are trying to seek protection here in this country and we've made ourselves kind of refugee-free. Um, but uh, the fact that we can do that and do it for others, uh, I think, is really important. You're on Joy 94.9 on the Spirit Lounge, where our special guest tonight is Sister Bridget Arthur from the Bridgetine Asylum Seeker Project. And I thought I'd um, ask about the the project and what you do the uh, three other 364 days of the year. To, so um, I think you, you were one of the co-founders of the Asylum Seeker Project. Yes, we began this um, project back in 2000 and at that stage we naively thought that it would be something that we'd do for a couple of years because then the need would surely be passed. Uh, so just how stupid you uh, we turned out to be. 16 years. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't right. know if <laughs> stupid or hopeful or yeah, unrealistic. That's right. So um, what... Yeah, we try to do uh, four things. Uh, one, to offer practical assistance uh, to those who 
Uh, turn up here with uh, very little, usually, um, often having spent a lot of time in detention uh, and who need help in the way of accommodation, so we help with that. Uh, some legal help, which we get through people who do this on a pro bono basis for us, uh, by visiting the detention centres and getting to know people there. Having a program where um, many volunteers go out into people's homes uh, and teach them English and, and befriend them, support them, take them out of isolation. Uh, we give food out. and So we do, at a practical level, we do quite a lot of stuff. Uh, we try to network with other organisations because of strength in that. Uh, we try to advocate both for individual people and around issues. And the last thing that we try to do is educate. And we do that by newsletters, discussion nights, that kind of thing. And is the Bridgetine Order in Australia, uh, are you in just in Melbourne or are you in other parts of Australia? Uh, we're a small congregation and uh, we are here in uh, Victoria. We're um, in uh, New South Wales, a very small number in Queensland. Um, yeah, that's about it here in Australia. Yeah. So there is quite a lot of networking with um, other groups, not just yeah. in your order. Mm. Um, I'm. I think there's a lot of um, rumor and misinformation about um, how people, how asylum seekers are treated. So, um, can you tell us about if if somebody is, I suppose, released into the community, what what um, what support? If any, do they get from the government, and where do you what do you have to pick up? It's mm. a very good um, question because actually, there's virtually no one answer to anything when you talk about asylum seekers, uh, because it, a lot a lot depends on uh, when you came, how you came, um, who interviewed you, etc. But just talking broadly about the biggest number who are now in the community in. Um, on what's called um, bridging visas, and they're there uh, as part of what is also called a legacy caseload. All this, this is very technical. Uh, that's the largest number by far. And uh, they get 89% of New Start. Um, and yeah, that's it, really. And that's pretty, I mean, New Start's pretty low to begin with, and yeah. that's even, so that's well below the poverty line. Yeah, and they have to get uh, their housing out of that, pay their, their utilities. Uh, pay for food, pay for uh, expenses for schooling for their children, etc. I mean, sometimes I did the sums with a lady the other day and because she had a debt she had to pay back uh, for electricity, um, she virtually had no money left for food or she had no money left for food. Uh, so, you know, unless uh, they can get some uh, help, uh, people like that lady and her two children, uh, then, you know, they're in dire straits. So are you um do members of your community go out to to where people live or do they come to um to your congregation? Mm. By and large we go to places. Um for the people in community, the ones that we are looking after are more often families. Uh many of them are women by themselves, not all, but a, a sizable number are. Uh, or sometimes they're people who are quite ill mentally, mentally usually, uh, and then sometimes both mentally and physically. Um, they can be very, very isolated. So one of our main aims is to try and get uh, good people of goodwill in the community, and there are many of those, uh, to actually befriend people because taking them out of that isolation is the first step towards uh, healing and getting them at least able to live somewhat normally. What um, apart from asylum seeker issues, are there other social issues that um, 
that you or that the the Bridgetines in Australia uh, have been involved in? Uh, yes, well, primarily uh, we've been a uh, teachers, so primarily uh, we've got a background in schools, uh, both primary and secondary, a bit of tertiary. Um, but we've always been interested in uh, social issues as well, and so. Uh, you know, over the years, uh, we've always had a justice group and that justice group has taken various issues, uh, including the asylum seekers, prior to when we set up this project. Um, so uh, Indigenous rights and uh, homelessness and a variety of other things that, you know, you're all too aware of. You're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 where we've been talking to Sister Bridget Arthur from the Bridgetine Asylum Seeker Project about the Palm Sunday Walk for Refugees, Walk for Justice for Refugees, which is this Sunday. I've just seen an update on their Facebook page looking at the weather forecast for Sunday. It's um, perfect practice walking weather, not too hot, not too cold, minimum 12, maximum 21, and sunny. So no more excuses for not taking to the streets and um, showing your support for asylum seekers. And just getting back to the issue of um, church involvement in asylum seeker issues, uh, Bridget, I believe you've also been involved in the um, Love Makes a Way move- movement. You've Have you been arrested in an MP's office? Or <laughs> I think there's, I, I know quite a few people who've been arrested now. <laughs> yes, I don't think it's any more a badge of, uh, <laughs> of uh, honour because uh, many have been. Um, yes, I have been, but just as part of groups who have uh, occupied the um, uh, the places of the, what do you call the outside offices, sort of, uh, of um, the different members of parliament. It's just, again, a non-violent way uh, of uh, trying to bring attention to the sheer vulnerability of this group of people in our community. What sort of reactions have you had from um, from the MP staff when, when you do that? I have to admit uh, that the twice I've done it, uh, people have been polite but not involved in any way. So um, I guess we would always hope uh, that we could engage in some kind of uh, discussion, dialogue, uh, talk to people who are around. But, um, yeah, we've been left to our own devices and eventually the police get called to um, evict us. So the, the MPs generally don't engage or no, they no i think uh we haven't particularly tried to find times when they were present uh we would have been very keen to talk to them of course uh but um you know they're not terribly often i think sitting in their office just <laughs> waiting for people like us to turn up so uh, yeah and i think that that's something that's taken off around australia as well uh yes it's uh it's a movement that's um yeah, reasonably uh, broad-based um, and uh, within the uh, church communities. I think it's been a way of the church communities, mainly Christian, um, actually working together um, and um, yeah, coming together in solidarity, and I think that's a really good thing. So um, is that going to just continue until there's a change in policy? Uh, probably, I think um, we need to be more be creative in terms of uh, you know how we actually carry out this um, non-violent but direct uh, uh, approaches uh, to people who can make a difference. 
uh, there's no good just keeping on doing the same thing because what we're doing is trying to get people to listen. Uh, we can't force people to listen, uh, but um, again, we can let people who are seeking asylum know that we're doing, doing this on their behalf uh, and that's at least some small consolation, maybe. Maybe it gives them a bit of hope. Um, but it also says to me- members of parliament who have goodwill uh, that there are people who don't look, I hope they don't look like loony people, uh, <laughs> um, just causing disruption. They look like, I hope, ordinary folk uh, who are just trying to make a point. And if we can do that, I hope that they will listen. Some of my friends um, who are not Christian have said, well, there's um, there's all these Christians who are making who are they, they've noticed that there are all these Christians who are talking about asylum seeker issues, and that there are these um, people in government and opposition who who say that they're Christian, um, but support or perpetuate these policies. Do you think um, does it? What's there, there seems to be a disconnection that they um, does the fact that there are hundreds and thousands of Christians now arguing against these policies is that do you think that would ever make a difference to those who to the MPs who claim to who say that they're Christian uh, I think it can um, I mean that's we don't want to be in a position where we're judging the level of Christianity of different people um, you know we have to take it that uh, people have uh, their own reasons and hopefully good conscientious reasons for doing whatever they're doing <clears throat> but um, I personally find it hard uh, to say that we're followers of a Jesus who, even if you take Palm Sunday, I mean, he come, came into uh, Jerusalem uh, humbly on a donkey, not a war horse. Uh, he came with a ragtag group of people uh, who were following him. And they were the people that he actually had kind of always gone out to um, include, um, people who were excluded and it seems to me that asylum seekers, if they'd been around at the time of Jesus, they would have fitted into just that group of people. Uh, so, you know, I hope that gradually uh, people begin to uh, agree with, with us uh, who are trying to seek justice for these people. Well, there's, I mean, there's even, uh, th- there's elements of the refugee experience in Jesus' life rather yeah. than the, you know, mm. the experience of being in power. Yes. Um, and just... Finally, there's there's been a few um, talk in the last few weeks about the the sanctuary um, movement, um, and I'm not sure of churches offering sanctuary to to asylum seekers who may be deported. I'm not sure if any um, if that's actually been taken up anywhere. Um, are you aware of of that? Or uh, yes, you... uh, we're part of that. Two two religious congregations have um, of women have offered also to be part of it, and that's the Josephite Sisters and the Brigidine Sisters that I'm part of, uh, as well as, I think, 107 churches in all. So um, it's a lot of different places. Uh, no no one has actually uh, been able, or had to, I suppose, seek uh, sanctuary so far. There's a lot of people uh, among these 267 people who are threatened with deportation back to Manus or Nauru uh, are actually in detention so they can't seek sanctuary. Uh, there are a number in the community, and we hope that they will not be threatened when it comes to the point. I mean, I'm, a, I'm aware that um, there's, after the Im- immediate f- um, flurry of attention of churches um, 
saying that they would offer sanctuary. Then there was almost um, a bit of criticism of those churches that didn't say that. It was almost a, a sense of pressure that you had to say that. But um, in my parish, that that Sunday after, we had a, a parish meeting about um, talking about, well, can our can we accommodate asylum seekers, and if not, what can we do instead? And and my vicar made the point that um, uh, religious congregations, um, communities of of monks and nuns, are in fact very very well placed to offer sanctuary more so than a parish church, since these are you know communities accommodating people living there already. Mm. So it's I think it's that's promising. true. I think that's true. Uh, but the very um, you know, a supportive action of people saying, well, we can't actually, we couldn't actually take somebody in here because there aren't the facilities, but we're absolutely on side with the movement. I mean, that in itself is also a really good thing. You're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 where we've been talking to Sister Bridget Arthur and we will come back after break just to round up and talk about, um, once again, the details of the Palm Sunday rallies. You're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9. We talk, we've been talking to Sister Bridget Arthur about the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice for Refugees, which is on this Sunday. And Sister Bridget, could you just give us the details about where and, and when that starts? Yes, here in Melbourne, uh, we will be gathering um, for any time, you know, it would be good to come about one. Uh, actually, music will start officially at half past one and there's some very good uh, bands and uh, singers. Um, and then we will have some um, speak speeches. Uh, some people will speak to us outside the State Library uh, and then we'll make our way down to the Elizabeth, what, what uh, did you call Alexander them? Alexander Gardens, Gardens yeah. Down, down um, Swanson Street. Down Swanson yeah. Street. Uh, and at the end, we will have some more uh, music and a couple more s- uh, speakers, uh, and we'll uh, wrap up there, I don't know, maybe for something like that. Sister Bridget, it's been wonderful having you here, and it's good night from the Spirit Lounge, from myself, Claudine. And from myself, Rachel. Yep. Don't forget the woods are coming up next. We're going to go out with If I Should Fall From Grace With God by the Pogues. There's your Irish jig. There's your Irish jig. And we'll end on a little joke that we got sent in. What do you call a nun that's gone walk about a Roman Catholic? Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation. Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.